This is Jamie Newberg with The Athletic, and you are listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. This is Willie Calhoun of the Texas Rangers. You're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Welcome to Rangers Nation podcast, talking all things Texas Rangers. Rangers Nation podcast is a part of Dallas Sports Nation, providing coverage of all your DFW sports teams. Now, here's your host, Texas Rangers blogger, the Recliner Nerd. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Rangers Nation's podcast. I'm your host, the Recliner Nerd, and today's episode is Rusty Greer. Yep, Rusty Greer, the Texas Ranger Hall of Famer. Nine years with the Texas Rangers. You know, Rusty, we're going to talk about his life growing up. His high school ball, college ball, getting drafted, making it to the big leagues, the Kenny Roger game. We're going to talk about that. We play the home run game with Rusty, a little bit about his kids, his family, and things going on right now. And we're going to do all of that right after this. This is Elvis Andrew of the Texas Ranger, and you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Rangers Nation's podcast. This is your host, the Recliner Nerd, and today's episode. Rusty Greer, we got a special guest with us, a lot of you know him, Rusty Greer, played nine years in the big leagues with the Texas Rangers, Texas Ranger Hall of Famer, he's with us right now, Rusty, thank you so much for coming on, I really appreciate it. Well, you bet, thanks for having me. Yeah, we've already had Rusty on, he was on Life in the Big Leagues, we did that with Benji Gill and Jeff Rob. we want to have Rusty on and just do some fun stuff here, get to know Rusty, a lot of you have probably seen this in different avenues, but we're going to do it today and get to know him uh, after baseball and see how things are going. Hey, Rusty, where were you born? Where would you grow up? Uh, I was actually born in Fort Rucker, Alabama. My dad was in the Army, flew helicopters in the Army, uh, was in the Vietnam War. Um, so he, uh, he was a helicopter pilot there. And I grew up, I was born in Fort Rucker, Alabama. We moved to um, Cleveland, Georgia, I believe, if I'm getting this timeline right. I'm a lot older than I used to be. Uh, left there, went to Albertville, Alabama. Um, and that's where I grew up was in Albertville, Alabama. So I spent, um, I was there from the time I was seven years old. I was 18 when I left chasing baseball. Chasing baseball. So now did you play any other sports when you were growing up? Uh, I played basketball. Um, I was, that's actually where all my scholarship always worked was for basketball. I was a, back then, a pretty decent point guard. Um, but and when I say scholarships, I mean like junior colleges and stuff like that. Um, so I played basketball and I played baseball, and and you know I know that's a that's a whole argument about people that, with people today about multi-sport athletes, and and my argument back is, um, you know it's uh, and I'm a little bit different now, so so bear with me. It's it's uh, it's hard in today's world to play multiple sports with the the seasons overlapping the way they do. Yeah. Um, and, and back then, you know, we played basketball. We were pretty good. We played you know, 25, 30 games. Uh, baseball, we played 25, 30 games. And, and I was separated by football, but in today's world, especially at the 5 and 6A level in Texas, I mean, you've got to be a real a real dude to be able to come off a, a football field and, and go straight into baseball, basketball court, go straight into baseball, uh, yeah. and expect to be the shortstop hitting third. You know what I mean? Uh, yep. It's, it's behind. And, and so I'm a little bit different when it comes to that multi-sport thing. I, you know, I, I believe that um, – uh, these kids, if, if they're old enough to say, um, I want to play one sport, then I'll let them play one sport. That's what I do with my kid anyway. But, yeah, I played two sports, basketball and baseball, but it's much easier to do back then than it is today. Oh, I'm look, I, uh, you're, I'm one year older than you, so I'm the old man here between the two of us. So, But I did the same thing. I was football and baseball. I didn't play basketball. Uh, basketball outgrew me by the time I got into high school. I was the point guard. When I got in high school, everybody else shot up, and I didn't. But mm-hmm. I stayed with football. You never played football? Never played football. I just didn't have any interest in it. Um, you know, it, it, it made more sense to me to be on a baseball field than it would be for two a days and the heat and getting beat up on. Now, looking back on it, um, yeah, I wish I probably would have played football. Just just going to high school football games here. Now, growing up in Alabama, of course, Texas is is football. Right. Uh, one of Alabama, just the Friday night lights, the whole deal. Like, looking back on it, if I could do it again, I probably would give him football a whirl at least one year in high school just to see if I liked it. But I just uh, – it just never really floated in my boat. Now, today I love college football. It's, um, it's about the only um, sport I watch outside of uh, baseball um, is, is college yeah. football. And uh, follow the tide and, and – um, uh, Now, now you – so you – 
<laughs> so you're an Alabama guy, and you like to – now Mason's at Auburn, right? He, Mason is at Auburn. He's actually – well, he's actually transferring. Well, he's going to McLennan this next year. Um, oh, that's a big base, JC basketball school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's going there. There are some things that happen, you know, with NCAA um, giving everyone their, their year back because of the COVID-19 stuff. There are some seniors that came back. And so one sure. of those guys yeah. came back and directly impacted him. So he chose to, to go to transfer and go to McLennan um, under Mitch Thompson down there. And they have a great program. But, yeah, so he, he's actually an Alabama fan. He went to Auburn. Um, I'm a Bama fan. My wife's an Auburn, Auburn girl. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up a UT fan. I didn't go there, but being a Texas boy, I grew up a UT fan. There's some good battles and, uh, you know, you're the, the national championship, the year that, uh, Colt McCoy took them, uh, Alabama. Yeah. And of course now Alabama where they're at. Um, Hey, did you pitch in high school or did you just play the field? Um, I did pitch a little bit in high school. Um, I pitched more in, in what back then would be called Pony League, Colt League, uh, Mustang League, that kind of thing. I pitched more then. When I got to high school, I pitched a little bit, um, probably my freshman year in high school. Um, but for the most part, I was an outfielder, so I didn't pitch a whole lot in high school. And and that still didn't keep me from having arm surgeries. I had arm surgeries, but um, it probably prolonged it a little bit for sure. Wow. So um... – so you're in Alabama. There's not really any pro sports teams there. Who did you grow up fans of when you were growing up? Well, the Braves were over in Atlanta, and so we had the Braves on TBS every single night. Um, but I was I was a fan of the Boston Red Sox and, and the L.A. Dodgers. Um, I think to this day the Dodgers have the whitest uniforms. Whoever <laughs> does their, their, their cleaning is, is the best at it. Um, and, and they never have a stain on them. But uh, the Red Sox and, and, and the Dodgers were my two growing up, and those two, probably the Red Sox. Um, with my with my favorite team going on. Now I know you're a Ranger fan, obviously, because of your career and all that. Do you still are you still a fan of the Red Sox? Hard to let it go as a as an adult. If they're, if it's not the Rangers. Well, yeah. So I, I'm obviously follow the Rangers, but um, I, I follow the Red Sox. I, I've always loved Fenway Park, um, and to be honest with you, when I played in the big leagues, it was one of those stadiums where I would go into, and, and, and it's a pretty hostile environment. But for whatever reason, people um, people um, did not get on me there, and um, uh, and I enjoyed playing there. Fenway Park played into my game as far as being a left left you know opposite field hitter, left center, left field, um, and, and I still follow the Red Sox, uh, but not not to the extent that I did back back when I was growing up. Yeah, it's a great place. In fact, I I think I told you I ran into you in Boston one year. Uh, we went up. I love that stadium, but man, the the. Fenway Park is amazing, uh, just for a fan. It's an experience as a fan. If you love to go watch baseball, you, that's something you got. It's the oldest stadium in the major leagues. You got to go check it out. It's pretty cool. It is nice, and we used to walk from the hotel to the, to the park, you know, and, and just getting out and, and, and uh, being in that, being in that, you know, there's, there's Yankee Stadium, there's Fenway Park, there's several stadiums that have a lot of nostalgia to them. Well, old Yankee and old Detroit, uh, yeah, a lot of lot of nostalgia to them, and a lot of things that, that went on over the course of the history of baseball that is, that are really interesting um, and, and specific to that park. You know, Presky pulled Bucky Dent going yard in the seventh in a playoff game after being down so many. Yeah, you know, just a lot of things specific to different parks, um, and not to mention the, the the atmosphere that's there, the the wall and. People don't understand how close that wall is. Um, and it's yeah. all super close, and and uh, the fans are right on you. And it's it's um, it's just a good place to play, and the atmosphere is good. Um, it was for me, anyways. Well, it's not surprising you said they didn't get on you. We were there in all Ranger gear because we were fans as Ranger fans. And one of our things back then was to go watch Rangers play it out of town. They were great to us. First of all, I wonder, how'd you get tickets? You know, they wanted to, they, right, they, yeah. were all, they were awesome to us. I mean, it was, you know, a little risen back and forth is always what fans do, but man, they were, they were really nice. They were good, educated. Everybody was educated. So we were having fun doing nerd stuff, talking baseball the whole game. So it doesn't surprise yeah. well, me. I've seen, I've seen, I've been in Fillway Park and heard them boo louder when, when, when a Red Sox didn't move a runner from second to third than when then getting on to me in left field for making an error you know it's it so yeah <laughs> knowledge is knowledge is huge and they, i think those fans pride themselves on that and and you know i played right field there too i played left field for the majority of my career but right field too now they'll they'll get on you in the right field corner down there a little bit um, yeah uh by pesky was, uh yeah down there by pesky yeah. down there a little bit and, and uh 
but that was probably my favorite part to play in just from not only the standpoint that it, of the history and the nostalgia, but it fit into my game really well. The way I played, um, uh, swinging the bat and using the opposite field the way I did it, it was that short, short, uh, short channel left. It really played into my game. So, okay, you played at Montevallo, the, the college, University mm -hmm. of Montevallo. I, I always say that wrong, I think. Did you have any other offers? Um, no. Well, let me back up. No, I did not, but then, then I did, did kind of. Um, so there's some Division One schools that came and saw me play as a senior in high school, and they, ironically enough, they all said that I wouldn't wouldn't play Division One baseball or I couldn't hit in their conference. And so Montevallo was the only school, and I'll take you to this story. I had a neighbor down the road that went to Montevallo, and he knew the assistant baseball coach. Well, he told the assistant baseball coach, he said, "Hey, there's a kid from Montevallo lives up the street from me. He's pretty good at baseball." And so they set up a tryout. Now, Montevallo at the time was an NAI school. And so, I mean, NAI, you can try out, you can do whatever. Right. And um, so they called me, and it was Doug Sisson. He comes in, his coach says, Montevallo, I want you to come down and try out. We hear you can play a little bit. So I said, okay. And so it was me, and there was probably eight or nine other guys there. And so I actually had to go try out and did, did well and was the last player that he let that Coach Reasoner, Bob Reasoner, who's the head coach, let go for the day. And he called me and I said, hey, we like the way you swing the bat. We'll give you a scholarship. Um, and so I said, okay. So I went home, talked to my parents, called him back and said, hey, I want to come play for you. Well, after that, I go to the East-West All-Star game. So it's kind of like the, the state all-state tournament. Yeah. And um, did really well. And after that, there was probably a half dozen schools that kind of said, hey, we want you to come play for us, give you a scholarship. And the way I was raised, you know, when you say something, you do it. And I said, no, thanks. I'm going to Montevallo. Uh, and, and two, you know, they're the only ones that step out on the limb for me. And that right. meant something to me, you know, being from a, a small town and not really well known. And they were willing to take a chance on me. And um, uh, so I said, no, I'll go to Montevallo. And, and I'm glad I did because, you know, I, I, I started all but two games there. I didn't start yeah, your freshman year, you had an awesome year. Yeah, my, I didn't start my first game my freshman year. Uh, and then I didn't start a, one game my sophomore year because I made the coach mad. Uh, nothing I did off the field. I was on the field. I wasn't performing at all. So I didn't start two games. So I got on the field right away. And that's what I tell these kids today is I tell these kids today, it's not about, it's not about the conference or the school. Uh, it's about the level. It's about being on the field. And, yep. and the only way you can be drafted is by being on the field. So I went to Montevallo, NAI school, had 2,200 kids there and got drafted in the 10th round. Um, and so that's what I relate to my kids. All these kids that I'm around is go where you're going to play <clears throat> because it's hard to play at some of these places, especially with veteran guys there. Um, get on the field. And if you are good, pro scouts, they will find you. They'll find you. Um, and I'm a prime example, of, prime example of that because there's really no way that – now, there have been a couple of people drafted, a few people drafted out of there before me, but never as high in the 10th round. Right. And, and you know, and two, it, it's funny how the good Lord works. He, things work for a reason. And at the time, like, I, I was not a burner. Like, I couldn't fly. I could run a little bit back then. Yeah. I, my arm was very, very average, um, but I could swing the bat. Yeah. And so I had all these teams saying they were going to draft me. Well, back then in the late 80s and early 90s, the Texas Rangers, they were all about swinging the bat. And they figure yeah. a place out for you. Where to play? If you know, <laughs> that was secondary. <laughs> yeah, if you could swing the bat, you were good. And so they drafted me, and so it worked out really well um, from that standpoint. You know, you know I got to ask this: since you and I are the same age, and I I tell these I've coached a lot since I've got out. I I just played ball through high school. We played with bats. Today they play with these bats that have like a drop three, a drop. You know the the drops. I had probably a drop ten. Do you did you play with those? The barrel, the light ones, the. No, I never did. <laughs> <laughs> and the older people sitting there, they know I called it green magic and black magic. Yeah. There was the green Eastern and the black Eastern. I had the green Eastern. Uh, <laughs> and so, but if you think about it, those, those are 33 30s. They just didn't call them drop threes or drop fives or drop eights. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up using aluminum bat, I basically picked what the store had. And I didn't know if it's a drop 10 or drop eight or drop three or whatever. I just <laughs> That's <picked> me. <laughs> you know? And, and now it's got it's to the point where all the rules and the youth organizations that you have certain, certain gotta be yeah you triple sa stickers yeah. and yeah it's stickers and all that because you know now back then the bats were hot and the balls were hot um, right today's game man to be honest with you some of these kids as big as they are 
Um, now we had uh, I played with some guys that were that were, that were pretty big and swing the bat. But some of these guys today, with that hot bat and that hot ball, they, I mean, somebody might get hurt. You yeah. Know? Uh. If they were the BB core bat, I mean, the ball comes off the bat good, right? Right. But if you take, I mean, you take the kid that, that, that I mean, you take, well, take, uh, take my kid, take Bobby Wood Jr., take the kid that got drafted first overall, any of these guys. Yeah. You put that bat in their hands, the damage they're going to do is, is, would be incredible because people don't understand. I mean, you could, you could hit it and it'd go. Um, it'd oh, go. yeah. Good. But no, I just had the, the green magic and the black. That was it. <laughs> hey, you know, I saw something on – so I go to your baseball reference page. I'm getting ready for this. Just to, Did you play for the USA national team? Um, not – yes. I, I, I played for a national team, but it was not the Olympic team. Okay. Uh, and I think it was 88 maybe. Um, um, I went on a, on a national team to – we played in Taiwan. We were over there for wow. uh, like 10 days, two weeks, something like that. I, I forget how many days. But I was on that team with uh, Chuck Knobloch, Mo Vaughn, Alex Fernandez. Um, that was my next question. Uh, Any big leaguers on that team? Yeah, all, all these guys. Um, all of them were on that team. And, and um, we went over there and we played Japan. We played Taiwan. We played South – I think we played South Korea. Um, but yeah, I was on there and, and, and had a great experience and, um, uh, was the only NAI player on the team. And I, and I think the way it came out is the team had to consist of so many people from different levels. Right. I was the, I, I, I was the NAI guy that was, it was a division two guy who I moved was my roommate and you had D one guys. Um, and so, yeah, I we went over there and played and, and we did well. I, I forget how we finished, but, uh. Spent some time over there. Um, That's got to be neat. So you now was that your senior year of college, or was it? That was my sophomore year of college. Sophomore year of college. Okay. Year of college. And I've got the USA jersey, whole nine yards. It was. I mean, it's pretty cool. That's very cool. That's real cool. Okay, let me ask you this now. When was it you realized that you might be good enough to play pro ball? Uh, obviously, it's every every little kid's dream, and right. to play pro ball. And, and and believe it or not, the poster I had on my wall right next to my bed was Ricky Henderson. Um, he had he had a pair of Mizuno spikes, I think it was whatever spikes laid over his shoulder. It was when he set the stolen base record for the season. Yeah, and he had the eye black on, and he, his uniform was dirty. And I, every, I mean, literally every day I'd say, "I'm doing that someday." Yeah. Um, not stealing bases because I couldn't run that much, but playing bases. <laughs> and um, so just moving forward, I was playing and and uh, got to Montevallo. And that was my first goal to go to college. And then after my freshman year in college, um, I had some junior college or, or some um, scouts um, basically tell me, hey, you need to – I'd like to transfer to a junior college. Well, they went to my coach. Hey, see if they'll transfer to junior college so you can draft eligible after, after next year as a sophomore. Um, and so at that point, I said, okay, maybe I, maybe I can play a little bit. Maybe I do have a chance. Well, and at that point in time, I, there was pro scouts that started coming around. Um, and then leaving my sophomore year, my junior year, um, there was, I don't know, eight or ten teams that came by, filled out the credit questionnaires. I did some some um, workouts for them and that kind of stuff. And so then I knew, okay, now I've got a good chance. It's a matter of where I'm going to be drafted because a lot of people said I'm going to be drafted from round 12 to 20, which I thought it would be, you know, in the 15 to 20 range. Um, and then when the season started, um, that's when, as, as you're aware today, scouts show up and um, there was, I don't know, there was a bunch at every game. And, um, and they were there for you? Yes. Now, not just me all the time. We played guys that um, were draftable. And, and I'll tell you, one of the, one of the most nerve-wracking moments I've ever had as a player. <laughs> we were playing at Livingston University, and this kid was a shortstop named Michael Carter. He's a really good player. He would play for Livingston, and I played for Montevallo. And so he was going to be a pretty high long draft pick. I'm not sure where he got drafted, but it was, it was fairly high. And um, and so it rained, so we didn't get to take BP on the field. So we had to hit in the cage. Well, the home team hit first, and we're walking up the hit, and there's like 30 guys standing on this cage, right? And they're all pro scouts. And I'm looking, I'm going, surely they're not going to be there when I'm hitting. And we step in the cage. There's 30 guys standing on the cage. And 
So we go through our BP, and then my coach says, hey, Greer, jump back in there. And I hit by myself for like 10 minutes. Dude. Oh, wow. about scared to death. I can't basically imagine. Basically thinking, if I don't swing the back good here, I'm not getting drafted. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I got done. They, they left, went and watched the game. And, and that was one of the most nerve-wracking moments uh, that, well, uh, that I've had as a player. Well, you, you basically answered my next question. I was saying how many – I was going to ask you how many scouts were attending games. You say 20 or 30 were showing up. That, that, well, at that particular and, and, Yeah, you had two guys in that game that were yeah. – so you, So that's why it attracted more. But on a normal thing, maybe eight to ten. Yeah, something like that. And, and, it's, and it's typical. As the season goes on, it winds down to the guys that really want you and, and that kind of stuff. Now, there was when, – when my junior year, there was – you know, and if the scouting director comes in and then um, play development guy comes in, that means they're really, really talking about um, drafting, and so there was two or three clubs where those guys came in and cross-checkers, scouting directors, that kind of thing, because at, at the time, I'd been told I'd be drafted as high as seven, and but the majority of the teams were saying in the 12 to 20. Right. Uh, Rangers one, I'm saying the single digits. And so when you're talking about getting in the top ten, close to the top five, and they're spending money, they're going to have guys come in. And, and so um, – yeah, that kind of had played out, and I did well my junior year, and when I get drafted the 10th round, there was, actually, there was actually a pitcher that came available in the 7th that they took, which bumped me to the 8th. Another guy came available bumped me to the 10th. Bumped you to the 10th. So yeah. did you know the scout personally, the one that was that was on you, the guy that no, 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 no. His name is Rudy Tarasas. He's an old-school scout. Um, um, Rudy Tarasas, Doug Gassaway. Um, Randy Taylor, who's still with the Rangers, Sandy Johnson, he was I, the, the director, Marty Scott. Um, all those names, all those, I remember them. All those guys. They, and, and two, we had a, they had a workout, like it, it's a, it's a, you know, I club to have open tryouts for that. Yeah. They had told me they were going to draft me, but wanted me to come up to this open tryout in Birmingham Southern. And so, um, we only get to take BP. We're, we're, we're facing live pitching. So we go in there, we throw up in the outfield. We might have taken a round of BP or something. But we go straight into facing live BP, like guys throwing. So you know the guys on the mound, they're trying to throw it as hard as they can. Yeah. Balls are going all over the place. I hit a couple good, but for the most part, I, I didn't do a whole lot, you know. Um, and so Marty Scott, who is um, the uh, player development guy, he goes – he said, uh, we get done. I came walking out of the cave. He said, well, you didn't hit any out. <laughs> and so oh, I'm man. Thinking, there I go again. I'm not getting drafted. <laughs> well, I'll tell you another story about that right there. Doug Gassaway, um, he was, he was uh, <laughs> notorious for doing things, right? And so him and Rudy Tarasas, they really liked the rest on the bat. And so we had to run the 60, right? Yeah. And so <clears> – um, Gasway has has he's the um, he would have been like uh, um, he's not the cross checker he might have been like a regional cross checker he was above the area that was root um, so he's out there and all the guys are out there and says hey we're gonna we're gonna measure off the sixty he says no 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 I got it so he goes out there and, and uh, measures off the sixty and this is a true story I'm not I'm not kidding true story <laughs> measured off the sixty and so we get done with the tryout and so. My assistant coach, who the Rangers wanted to hire as a manager and wound up hiring him, we go to the La Quinta Inn in Birmingham and hang out with, with the, the Rangers guys, right? Right. And um, so they're sitting around, we're hanging out, and they start laughing. And um, I'm thinking, what in the world are these guys laughing at? And so Randy Taylor, he said, um, he said, guess, they call him guess. Guess you're going to tell him every week. And so he said, I'll tell him. He said, because I ran like a six eight five, you know, fastest time I'd ever run. And um, you can tell where I'm going with this. You can tell where I'm going with this. Yeah. Six eight five. I'm thinking, man, I was flying. The guy says, you know, at six eight five, you ran today. He said, yep. He said that was on fifty six yards. I said fifty five. I just said. Well, it might have been fifty seven and a half, fifty eight and a half, whatever. Fifty eight and a half to fifty eight yards. But anyway, it was short, so he measured off the floor because he wanted to grab it. That's a true story. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Make you think you're fast as you are. Then you start trying to steal bases when you don't have the – Yeah. No <laughs> uh, so, 
Okay, so tell me how you found out you'd been drafted. I know it's not like today they did the whole no, thing. No, 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 it's uh, it's completely different. Uh, there's no, there was no TV, there was no nothing going on. Basically, I was the day of the draft. Um, the Rangers, uh, Rudy Charles was coming. Said so draft starts on let's say Monday. Uh, just be by your phone. So I basically sat there in my house until I got called and. Um, Phone rang, I picked it up. Hey, Rusty, three throws. says, hey, we took you in the 10th round. Um, I'll be up there to sign you Wednesday. Uh, so, okay, man, great. And I was all excited. So, he came up on Wednesday. Um, I wanted to go play. And so, uh, back then, the 10th, I think the 10th round now, I guess like 125 grand, 150 grand, something like yeah. that. Um, I got 15 cash and 7,500 for school for 22,500. It's what I got now. Looking back on it, I probably could have said, "I want 30 cash or, or 25 cash and 75." I could have got it, but my dad. I mean, and I'm 19, 18, 20 years old, 21, I guess at the time. And um, my dad said, "Do you want to go play or not?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll go play." <laughs> so I got 15 cash and 7,500 for school. Got in my truck or got on a plane and left. That <laughs> and that's when you went to Butte, right? Butte, Montana. Yep, Butte, Montana. Uh, that was short season A ball. Okay, let me find out where I'm at here. So, uh, so your your first time was uh, Butte, Montana. Was that the first time you ever used a wooden bat? Uh, no, I've used a wooden bat and BP and stuff. And when I was in college um, during inter squads in the fall, I would use a wood bat. And actually, that's how Rudy Rudy Tarras has kind of got on me too. He he was watching the inter squad game, and I was using a wood bat and hit two two balls out. And that's kind of how he. He, uh, matter of fact, we were sitting there. He was sitting there, and um, we were playing the game. And I, or it was early in the inter-squad game. And so, in Montevallo, all the inter-squad games you played, there was something – Coach Reed put something on the line. So, it was something like you didn't want to lose. Um, and, uh, matter of fact, I think this might have been during our World Series. And so, I hit two balls out, and I was coming up for a third or fourth of bat. And it was deep in the game. The game was – almost tied, it was a close game, and there was runners on, so I went up with an aluminum bat. And he comes walking in, he says, don't go through that aluminum bat, take that wood back up there. And so I'm thinking, all right, so I went and got the wood and freaking ground it out. <laughs> so tell me, as a guy that never played, the only wooden bat I ever used, I got a little Ranger wooden bat when I was about 10 and used it one time. What is the difference between what we use, the green bomb, black bomb, and the wooden bat? Tell me the difference when you start using one. What is the difference between them? Uh, well, it's, it's still different today, even with the, the BB course today, is, and this is kind of where I explain people may disagree or agree. Obviously, the sweet spot's much smaller. Sure. Um, and on today's bat, that sweet spot, spot is huge. On those bats we used back in the day, it was smaller than they are today, but still bigger than a wood bat. Right. And so when you when you when you really uh, square ball up or hit on the screws, whether it's wood or aluminum, you don't really feel it, right? Right. And and kind of the way I describe it is a sweet spot smaller. You have it's less forgiving. Um, the battle break aluminum obviously won't break, but when the ball comes off an aluminum bat, um, my personal opinion is the ball jumped, right? Right. Uh, but then then it somewhat dies. If you hit the ball with that same wood bat, same amount of exit velocity or whatever, for me, the ball may not jump as much, but it carries further. It carries further. I believe it's just that mass coming through the strike zone. Because um, it's solid. It's solid, yeah. It's yeah. a solid piece. And that's why I tell my kid, like, all these kids, they want to use wood bats. I say it's a different bat. Well, it's still a 3330 bat. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's a different bat. It's, you can have a 3330 C271 and a 3330 whatever it may be, same weight, same length, but the bat is different because of the head weight, because of the handle, because of all that stuff. And, and so that's the biggest difference. I mean, to me, the ball jumps off aluminum bat where the wood bat, it carries, carries further. Um, it'll still jump if you hit it good, uh, but you've got a much smaller area to, to hit that ball in. Now, so you were saying that in inner squad and stuff, you would use the wooden bat before you ever got drafted. Did you ever use it in a college game, a wood bat, or did you just No, take no, no, it? I never did, no. You never, never did? Okay. I never even want to try. Um, you yeah. know, at, at the end of the it day. It's about winning then, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 well, even not that. At the end of the day, if I got a choice between wood and aluminum, I'm going to pick aluminum. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah. Even, even right now, I'm picking aluminum. Yeah. Because uh, I got more of a chance, and uh, I don't have to be as precise. And, and so, no, I never even thought about that. 
So I, we talked about this when we did the, when we did the uh, Life in the Big Leagues, but I want to talk about it again with you now for anyone that didn't hear that one. So where were you playing when you got called up? That was a funny story you told. I want to hear that. And tell us about your Major League ba- debut. That was a good story too. Uh, so I was in I was in Oklahoma City. Uh, playing, we were playing the fairgrounds in. Uh, so I am the last outfielder on the roster at the time. So I was going to spring training. I want let me back up. This is going to be a little bit of a long story. That's fine. Um, we got time. Um, back up. So I was in 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 Double A. Got called to Triple A, and then it was the first year of the Arizona Fall League was '93, and so they uh, they sent me to the Arizona Fall League. And so Kevin Kennedy, who was the manager at the time, came out and saw me, and I was doing really well. He said, I want this kid on the roster. So they wound up putting me on the roster. So I got invited. Or Is that the 40-man? You're talking about the 40-man? 40 40-man 40 yeah. roster. Um, so I went to Big League Camp. Uh, I was number 56, stepped back in the back corner in Port Charlotte, uh, and never even – I was just happy to be in the Big League clubhouse. Never even had expectations, right? Um, so – as spring training goes on and on, I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting my chances. When I got my chances late in the game as a, as a replacement for the starters, I'd get a knock, driving a run. Then I got a start against uh, Toronto in Dunedin because Juan Gonzalez had a hamstring or something was wrong, so he didn't start. So I got a start. I went like two for three with a three-run homer, right? And so then a couple of days later, I, I come in the game a little bit early. I still want to start. It was about the fifth inning instead of the seventh or eighth. I hit another home run. So then there was uh, – I was playing late in the game one day, and I played down the line in Port Charlotte, and I, had a, I was playing left field, and I had a small or short fence down the left of the line. So a ball's gone, and I, I never even stopped, man. I hit that fence wide open and caught the ball and did a barrel roll over the fence. and, <laughs> and um, Chain link? Know, yeah, so, so <laughs> anyway, so I was, I was doing good. Um, and so I was the last player cut out of, out of big league camp. And they told me, Hey, we're going to send you down. It's between you and Rob Ducey. Rob Ducey had major league time. I didn't. So we're, we're going to send you down. But I went to Houston with them. Played the, played the exhibition game in Houston. They came here and played the two exhibition games. Against That's the, the one I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so went to Oklahoma city, drove from here to Oklahoma city. Um, actually, I might have flown back to Fort Charlotte. Anyways, got my truck somehow to Oklahoma City and started the season there. I was there for 29, 30 days a month. And so we're playing a game one night, and three days before this game, we were in New Orleans, and I jumped into a wall. And I mean, I ripped my ankle apart, right? Actually, years later, I had that surgery. Um, ripped my ankle apart, so I'm hobbling around. I missed three days, and I tell Bobby Jones, who's the manager, I can play. So he said, take your ankles of DH now. So I DH'd for three days. And the third day I was DH, and Gary Reedus, who was an outfielder here on the 94 Club, pulled a hamstring. And so we get done with the game. I'm actually in there in the shower. I start hearing scuttlebutt <laughs> about he's the only one on the roster. You know, they call me Rojo Rose, only one on the roster, this, that, and the other. So I'm hearing all of a sudden the club, he comes in and says, hey, Bobby, um, Bobby Jonesy wants to see you in his office. So I'm walking in his office, and there just happened to be all of the instructors there, Perry Hill, um, Bump Wheels, all these guys were our instructors. And so Bobby said, are you he, – he said, are you hurt? And I said, yeah, I'm hurt, but I can play. He said, well, you know what I can play? You're literally hobbling down the line. I'm going to have to put you on the disabled list. And I was like, no, you're not, man. Don't – you know, all of a sudden it started getting a little bit heated. And then so then the instructors start chiming in. And so I'm, I'm sitting there looking around going, why don't you guys – Shut them, you know what up. <laughs> and, then, and this is this is it. Why, why are y'all in here? <laughs> yeah, why are y'all laughing? What are you doing, man? So me and Bobby are kind of back and forth. It's getting heated, right? Yeah. I'm getting my dander up. And so he's kind of acting and these guys are laughing. And finally I try and I said, What the F are you guys laughing at? And um and Bobby said Bobby cut cut me off and said, So you're saying if you got called to the big leagues tomorrow, you can play. And I said, You dead them right I could. He said, Well, you pack your stuff. You're going to open. And I turned around and said, Bobby, I said, don't this ain't going to F with. Yeah. He said, I'm not. And get stood up. They all just busted out laughing, right? They <laughs> all gave me big hugs and all that stuff. So it was kind of cool. But I, I'll never it's, – it's something literally – there's things in your life that you'll literally never forget. That's awesome. Um, Kenny Rogers' perfect game that day, birth of my kid, that kind of stuff, you know. It's something that I, I can see to this day when I walk in his office. It's kind of cool. So <laughs> – Huh? 
Oh, we're going to talk about – I want to talk about the Kenny Rogers game, but say, but keep going. So you go to Oakland. Yeah, I go to Oakland. So I, I pack my stuff. Of course, you do all the phone calling and pack your stuff. And I had a little bit of Nissan Titan and everything fit in the back of it. That's how little I had. So I just left it, right? Um, told my roommate, hey, watch my truck. And um, so – I was awake pretty much all night and yeah. got on a plane from Oklahoma City at like six in the morning, flew to Oakland, got there, happened to get off the plane with Jim Sunberg and uh, it may have been, um, uh, who else would have been there? Jim Sunberg, I forget who else was announcing. And so they said, are you going to the ballpark? And I was like, yeah. And so they gave me a, a ride to the ballpark. So I went up at the time we had roommates um, and Darren Oliver was my roommate. So I knock on the door and he opened the door. And so basically I followed him around like a puppy because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, so get to the ballpark and uh, walk in the park. I'm all excited. Now keep in mind I hadn't slept, but it don't matter. My adrenaline's pumping. I'm excited. Oh yeah. And so I get there and find my locker and Jackie Moore comes walking up and he said, congratulations, kid. You ready? To, I, I said, I said, thanks, Jackie. He said, you ready to play? I said, yeah, I'm ready to play. He said, good, you're hitting second and playing right. And when he said that, my heart went in my throat and something <laughs> else went in my drawers. And, and I was scared to death. And so I went and played right, played pretty good. I wound up going uh, two for five or three for five. Two for five maybe with three RBIs. I had a home run. My first hit was a homer. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I might have had three hits. I don't know what I had. Um, anyway, five RBIs was hitting second. And the funny thing is, is my first at bat, David Holtz is leading off, and David tells me that David is up there. He, he was called to the big league one time, so he knows. And he said, hey, man, same game you played since you are a kid. I said, all right, which made me feel no better. You know, I knew what he was trying to do, but it made yeah. me feel good. And so he doubles, or he singles and still second. Anyways, he gets on second base, and Kevin Kennedy, Kennedy gives me the bunt sign, the stack <laughs> bunt sign, in an American League game in the first inning, you know? And so – when I tell you this, I'm not kidding you. I, I never bunted in my life. Like, I hadn't. I was always a third, fourth, or fifth guy swinging the bat. Yeah. And so I'm like, are you kidding me? So I turn. I, anyway, I don't get the bunt down. Wind up popping up to the second baseman. So Holt doesn't move over. And then my next at bat, um, I hit a, I hit a, I think a three or a home, or maybe it's a solo home run. I don't even know. But it was, uh, it was a home run on next at bat. So that was my first hit, second at bat. Did you get the ball? Did they get it to you? Yeah, yeah I got the ball. Uh -huh. You did. So I'm going to tell a quick Rusty Griff story because Rusty knows this story. But first, so when Rusty, he's talking about he played that exhibition game. That was the first year that the new stadium opened. And you said you were one of the last ones cut. And back then, and you know this, we didn't know who all the prospects were. You knew who the number one or two prospect was in anywhere. But that's about it. You didn't have the internet like you do today. And we were there for the exhibition game. I had tickets to opening day, so we were there for it. The end of the game, Rusty hit a bomb up on the hill, Greens Hill. He hit a home run. And I remember leaning over. I think I was there with a date or with my uncle that goes me all the time. And I said, who the hell is Rusty Greer? And I didn't know who you were. And I was like, because we got to remember this name. And then you ended up – in fact, you met him too that day. We were saw you at that yeah. – was the cooking, that opening day thing. But I was like, who the hell is Rusty Greer? You know, the funny thing is, is that the stadium opened. So that was the second day of exhibition. Yep. And um, the starters had already played their full game back in Port Charlotte or something like that. So we're actually getting to play, right? We're getting right in the start, but we're getting to play a little bit. And so all the starters start getting taken out, and they start asking, who wants another at bat? And there's like three of us, man. We came in, and we're running to the bat rack because we hit, boom, making <laughs> out, get back. You want another one? Yep, I'm running back because I never knew if I was going to get back there, right? I, yeah. Yeah. Swing as much as I can this far. <laughs> I probably had, I don't know, eight at bats that game, but I was running every time they said, Who wants to hit? I was like, I do. <laughs> yeah, I think it was it the Mets. Yeah, it was the Mets. Yeah. It was the Mets because what I remember vividly, you're telling that story, and that's so funny because I kept going, Okay, well, that was the third out, but they're still just hitting. I mean, yeah. so I was like, They're just getting in at bats now. They're just, yeah. and Kennedy was worried about the mound, so he'd walk out there and he was messing yeah. with the mound. I remember all of that very, very well. Okay. Major League debut, you go three for – it was three for five. I think I looked that up earlier. Yeah, you told me you hit up with a home run. Okay, I want to talk about the Kenny Rogers perfect game. First of all, you made two catches in the game that were pretty notable. You made the last catch. But the one that – you saved the, the perfect game earlier in the game when you hit the diving catch. At what point did y'all realize, 
holy crap, no one's been on. We got a perfect game going here. Did you become conscious of it? Um, for me, it was probably about the sixth inning. Um, and about the sixth inning, the, the, the crowd never sat down, right? So they, they right. begin to know what's going on. They never sat down. And then as you get later in the game, every ball is a boo and every strike is a, you know, 48,000 people screaming. Right. The sixth thing I knew, I knew that there was a perfect game. And as we kept going forward, that's when the pressure starts to build a little bit because yep. you're going to be the guy that messes that up or anything like that. And for me, being a rookie, um, it was doubly, double anxiety for me. Um, but, you know, and I tell people I was, this all the time. That game, game got later and later. You know, there was, there's eight big leaguers on the field besides Kenny. And, you know, from a little kid on, you got to want the ball hit to you. Want it hit to you. Want it hit to you. I didn't want it hit to me, man. <laughs> I was going to ask was, that. <laughs> there was seven other guys on the field. You, they could tell you, oh, I wanted the ball. No, they didn't. They did not want that ball close to them. But, you know, and, and people talk about the, the diving catch. But there was actually, you know, it never really comes down to one play. There, throughout the course of the game, because it's early in the game, people forget plays. Um but there were several plays in that game. Dane Palmer made a nice play. Uh, Will Clark there in the ninth made a nice kind of stretch on a, on a ball up the middle by Esteban Beltre. He threw it. Uh, Juan Gonzalez made a nice play on the ball. Um, so there was several balls yeah. earlier in that game that, uh, you know, Dino's ball at third. At that time, the ballpark, the grass had just been put down, so it was really, really rough. When I say rough, I mean – it, it was it was still big league turf, but it ain't one big league turf. It had divots and stuff. And he took a ball. It took a terrible hop on him, and um, he gloved it and threw the guy out. It was probably, I mean, it was a really nice play. Um, and then, but that the, because of my that diving catch happened tonight, um, that's the one everybody remembers. And and you know, I'm, I'm glad they do. Um, yeah. And that that kind of propelled my career somewhat was that particular catch and, and there's a lot of people to this day that come up and tell me you know they're our age and they're coming and say man I was out that game great catch it was beautiful blah, blah, blah. so so you, you realize the the impact um and there's people out there that remember that for the rest of their life do you still talk to kenny uh i do occasionally i haven't talked to him in a while but i, I do occasionally yes he's not in the metroplex is he uh last sunday he lives in westlake yeah he's he's not far away i don't think Oh, okay. He came in for – was he – I was at the last game in the old the old new ball – whatever you want to call it, last year. We were there. That was the – when they did the – move the home plate over to the new one. And he came in. He was just there for the beginning of the game. So, I, I guess I had it in my head that he lived somewhere else. So, Westlake's not bad. That is still around here. Uh, okay. So, were you guys trying to avoid him? You, you always see that. So when you got late in the game, were you guys avoiding Kenny in the in the lock? I mean, in the dugout? Not, not really. Um, everybody knew what was going on, and and and, and Kenny was never a, a gregarious guy. Uh, when yeah. He, hit, you know, he was always somewhat focused. He was focused, and and um, we. I just most people just went about doing their own thing. Um, right. It, you know, if it's if it's a different if it's a different guy pitching, they may not say a word. I mean, they they may be joking around or whatever. Um, but Kenny was always focused on what he, what he was wanting to do. And I don't know if you ask him, I can't answer this, but yes, I don't know that he was really aware of what was going on until late in the game. Right. Uh, it's just his demeanor was, I'm out there to pitch, do my job, and I'm going to win this game. And, um, and, and win a bunch of games in the big league, he did. And so, um, but no, it wasn't, it wasn't something we avoided or set away from or nothing like that. You know, it was uh, um, pretty status quo for the, for the most part. So, who are some of the the former players you still hang with? Now, I know Frito. We talked to Frito and Benji and them. You you kind of are there any other guys you played with you still hang out with every once in a while? Uh, yeah, Bobby Witt. Um, he lives what? right up here with me. I talk to him four or five times a week. Um, yeah. With him. Jeff Russell. Um, see Kenny Hill occasionally. John Burkett occasionally. Um, so yeah, there's some still some guys that I hang out with. Uh, Bobby Bobby and his wife are probably the, the main two that we we run around with. So Burkett, he's still in now. It, was there a story where Burkett did he borrow a car from you to drive back after nine eleven or something? Uh, I don't remember. He wasn't on another. He was on another team. I remember a story. He was something after they shut down and then everybody went back and he borrowed it because the flights weren't going. I, I may be remembering something different. That's no big deal. Um, so Mason, how many kids do you have? I have three. Three kids. They're all twenty. I got twins and then one adopted son. Six one. months old. So they 
They're six months apart. Okay. Was was uh, was Mason one of the twins? Yes. Uh huh. He's got a twin sister. Yep. A twin sister. Now, did any of the other kids play sports besides Mason? Um. Well, my other son Clayton. He he started in the sports because you know all all the buddies. It's just a normal deal as a kid. Sure. And so I actually put Mason because I didn't want to drive the two separate practices. I made Mason play on his older brother's team with his with all his friends. Yeah. So Mason's been running around with not only his buddies but Clayton's buddies, so they're all friends. And and um, Clayton played. I call it mainstream sports: basketball, um, baseball. They already played football. Um, played some soccer. Uh, but then about the age of nine, he found wakeboarding, and so. Cool. Um, he turned into a pro wakeboarder. He from nine on. He he uh, he has been wakeboarding. He wanted to quit sports. In I said, let's tap the brakes a minute. So I gave him a year <laughs> to really think about it. And so he's been on a wakeboard. hadn't played hadn't played mainstream sports since. So he's been all over the world um, since he's been sixteen. Um, Holy cow! Been to Twenty countries uh, since the time he's been sixteen. Um, uh, spent sixty something days in Europe and all this wow. So he's had he's had an eventful life uh, for being twenty. Um, very very worldly, very very smart. Um, then Mason, uh, he's he's the one that stayed with baseball. And then Taylor, um, she's um, uh, she was in the band in high school and she's a photographer and all that kind of stuff. So so you were a band dad too, huh? So yeah, you were a band dad. I've I've got a my my kids, my youngest quit baseball he was my athlete my older one's into i uh, uh, talked with jamie newberg we were laughing about it we we're both uh theater dads my oldest son got into acting wanted to get into acting my younger one still plays football and track and that's it and I, I never forced it i don't i can't imagine you were that way too if you don't love playing then you're not gonna enjoy a sport and well i wanted my kids to be passionate about whatever they did and so Clayton, exactly Clayton had to pass for wakeboarding now i'm not gonna say <laughs> I'm not gonna say Mason got off so easy with the baseball thing, yeah, um, because he's pretty skilled and and he uh, he gets he gets pushed by me, um, he and has been pushed by me since he's been a young guy pretty heavily, um, just because not because uh, because I see the ability in, in what sure. the is, you know you know it's funny people say well this guy's living through his kid or this guy's living through his kid and you know what I tell him you dang right I am. You know, my, my career is over, and, and this is – I want to live through my kids, you know. Yeah. Um, I want to go watch them. I want them to be successful. I want to say – I want to live through it. And so I'm a little bit different there too. And um, But, no, I, I push and push and push, um, and hopefully one day um, he appreciates it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I did that – I did with that with my younger one too. And what, I, I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is, is when you see the potential and the ability – our kids today can be lazy sometimes. And every once in a while, you got to go, you know what? No, you need to get out there and work. Do you like playing? Yes, I do. Well, then you got to go put the work in is what you got to do. There's well, nothing. Even yeah. with Clayton and wakeboarding, you know, I was not a wakeboarder. I, I, I had him a wakeboard coach and the whole nine yards. But yeah. at the same time, I, I lived vicariously through him because the stuff he was doing was cool. And, and um, if I could have had that when I was his age, I might have been the same thing. But I, I went to – I spent more hours at a, at a – he started behind the boat, then he then he found the wake park, the wakeboard park. Uh, cable. Yeah. yeah, the cable park, yeah. Yeah, I spent more time at a cable park than you can see straight. I mean, hours <laughs> and then just sitting watching, you know? Yeah. But I pushed him just as hard. Once I learned the lingo and the guy who was training him told me what to look for, I pushed him just as hard as I did on the baseball field. Right. Uh, but I – yeah, I'm living through my kids. That's, ain't that what you're supposed to do as a parent? Oh, man, I love it. It's fun. It's a lot of fun to do. And then, and every once in a while today, the electronics is so different from you and I. I mean, I mean, we were kicked out of the house when the lights came up, and we were had a ball and a bat, and we were if we hung around the house, we had to do chores. So right. we were out at a ball field somewhere doing something. And today, you know, I make them. you got to get outside. Go mow the yard. Get, I mean, get Go ride your bike. Jeez, get out of here. Hey, you know what's funny, though, is, you know, monkey see, monkey do. So Got I'm you. one of the biggest gamers you'll ever see. Are you really? What's, what so, do you play? I play Call of Duty, so. Okay. You know, yeah. I got that game. I can't figure it out. My son's really gotten into it. I'm, yeah. I like some of it. I'm more of the sports one. I'll play the baseball one and the football one. And, yeah, uh, so they, they see me playing my game all the time. So they play it. We actually play together. On, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. Really. Yeah, they can get online and play each other and yeah. stuff, too. That's, that, that's hilarious. So, Mason, okay, so we talked about Mason. Uh, he's back at McClendon. I, you know, where is McClendon? 
It's in Waco. It's a, but it's a big one. I had a buddy. I played high school. But now I went to Duncanville High School, which is pretty well known and for athletics and all of that. I was not a great athlete, but I was a good enough athlete to play. But we had some guys that went in McClendon. He was a D1. He went to McClendon and then ended up at UT starring in the College World Series. He's about our age. He's a year older than me. So you're two than you. You there when Mr. Rombeck was the head coach? The baseball Bob Rombeck was my baseball so Bob, so Bob, his his kid, Darren Rombeck, say his kid, he's our age. Um, he's one of my really good friends. He's a uh, – and his kid, Nate Rombeck, who's at Texas Tech right now, playing. He's a catcher, really good player. Uh, he yeah. makes a really good friend. So I know all about that Duncanville history, man, all that stuff. He walked into uh, – Bob came in when I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came in and took over that that program, which had been kind of stored before that. That baseball field over there has been nice yeah. um, the, for a long time. But yeah, Duncanville. Uh, but I was not a, I, I, I was not one of the best players on the Duncanville yeah. team. Let's just say that. <laughs> There's some good ones come through there, man. Real good ones. Oh, a lot of really good baseball players came through there. I played with a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was on the field with a lot of them. That's that's a good way to put it. Um, all right, so how do, let me ask you this. How does Mason compare to you? Is he a hit-first kid? Is he faster? You know, um, first off, he's an infielder. Um, okay. So, and I taught him to play the infield um, because um, being an outfielder in big leagues, you get heckled a lot. Yeah. I didn't want to have him to have to deal with that, so I put him in the infield. Um, he, I, I taught him to play second first, and I taught him to play shortstop. Now he's a third baseman. Right. Um, comparatively speaking, skill-wise, he's better, way better than I was. Um, uh, he switch hits. Um, he's got way more power. Kids six one two twenty, and he's a big, big physical. Wow. I just told him today. I said, man, if you play football, you'd be huge in uniform. So I mean, he's just a, he's a physical kid. He understands the game probably a little more than I did at that age, simply because he's been raised in it and right. talk and been around me coaching kids and all that stuff. But overall, he's he's better at this stage of the game than, than I was. And, and you know, at, at age 20, um, I wanted to be a really good college player. I mean, I want to get to the big league. I want to really, he wants to be a really good big league player. And so right. the college game for him, um, uh, he, 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 he enjoys college baseball. He enjoys being around his teammates. He's a team-first guy, which I appreciate. Sure. Um, yeah, as far as skill and, and just being ahead of the game from that standpoint, he's – like your head where I was at his age. Now, so you said he switch hits. So I, I obviously he's right-handed because he wouldn't be playing third base or infield. Well, he's natural left-handed hitter. Right. So his switch side is a right right-handed. So he throws right, hits left, and switches to the right side. When did he? Uh, when, when did he start uh, switch hitting? What age? He didn't start. He was sixteen. Um, really? Yeah. So the way he became him and his brother both, oddly enough, they throw right-handed and they hit up swing a bat left-handed. Yeah. Because when they were young and I was still playing, I hit left-handed, so they'd stand like me. Yeah. That's the way they would learn to hit. Right. Um, but he didn't start switching until he was 16. And it's because I kept telling him, man, if you want to show me, you can hit left-handed first, and then we'll turn you around. And so in the course of the last three years, four years, he's turned himself into a pretty good pretty good switch hitter. You would think he would have to start um, really early, but Mason's a really, really hard worker. So when he puts his mind to something, that's all he literally – does and thinks about and so that's one of his attributes is if he's struggling defensively he's going to take ground ball so you ask is he hit first no he is more defensive first right um, um he prides himself on his defense uh, he swings at that really good um but but he, he let's put it this way if he goes over four and, and makes an error he's much more upset about that error because i've been into his head that hitting comes and goes man over yeah. four you got another day tomorrow, but defensively, your glove can play every day. That's yeah. what I'm getting to his head. And I said, and I tell him too, I said, if you, you're swinging a bat and you go into a slump, the thing that keeps you on the field is your defense, the defensive side, your defensive end. Yeah. And so he takes that defensive stuff seriously. Um, and and, and it, it bugs him when he makes mistakes and errors and stuff like that. So um, he's probably a defense first, then hit, um, or it's kind of equal, an equal, equal rope there. And third base is natural. Is, is there a chance he'll move around? What's McClendon? They gonna put him at third? Uh, that right now, I think that's the plan. Put him at third. Um, he can play. He can play the middle infield. He's a really, really good second baseman. His body type, his body type profiles of a third baseman. Yeah. And so it's kind of hurt him in a way because 
Um, he's he's a big body kid, not not yeah six one. Wow, he just he's not fat by any means. Yeah, his body type says third base, but yet when you when you put him in the middle infield, um, he can still I mean he can still go and get balls. Now does he have? And I'm very objective in, in about my kid's ability. Does he have the range to go down the line 30 yards, 40 yards on a on a you know five ball? Yeah. No. But if the ball's hit with in, in some place, he's gonna make a play, he's gonna make the play. Right. Um, uh, he can still make some nice plays. Uh, but I've always been in the mindset. Remember Kevin Elster? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Elster, he had zero range, but when the ball was hit where he could catch it, it was caught and thrown. Right. And that's my mindset when it comes to defense. I'll give you the great play, man, because they rarely happen. Yeah. You give me 10 out of 10 within five, six steps of you, that's all I'm after. So uh, he's got good range. Um, he, he'll be going forward. He'll be a a backup-type middle infielder um, since, since because he profiles. He's got a big arm. He can throw. Um, he's got a really good arm. Yeah, from third, he's going to need that, yeah. Yeah, and so he plays on the left side of the diamond, but his body type says third. So, now, let me ask you this. Do you follow the current team, current Rangers? Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit? Been a bit harder. Been a little bit harder um, because of uh, this whole – Kids, every, well, coronavirus, yeah. Now, you, y'all do a deal where you go to – do they get y'all tickets for every opening day, your legacy or whatever it is? is... Uh, they, um, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you this. Well, first of all, I see the deer head in the background. So, you hunting fish too? I used to before I had kids. <laughs> before you had kids, don't do it much anymore. No, I'm too old. I don't like getting up early in the morning. What about do you dove hunt or bird hunt or? Uh, I don't don't. I mean, I plan on it eventually, but right now, man, my my interest like well, you think about this, you know, you 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 hunt on the weekends. Well, for the last since my kids have been eight nine years old, pretty much every weekend we're playing baseball or doing something. Sure, yeah. Uh, whether it be soccer or, or or basketball or something, so that kind of went by the wayside. And two. Where I grew up in Alabama, you could be literally hunting or fishing in 15 minutes. Well, here sure. it's a it's an effort level, you know, and so I'm just not willing to put that effort in. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you. You know, you helped out with who was it that was head coach over at Wesleyan? You helped him out. Uh, uh, my good coach, yeah. Mike, and you 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 were assistant coach. Is coaching in your future? You love doing it. You want to uh, do that? Yeah, and and I've had opportunities with the Rangers back when, um, but. Uh, I love the amateur game. Um, I love I love taking that still moldable person yep. in, in teaching. Right. Um, not that you can't teach pro guys, but it's a little bit harder. Um, I love I, I just like the amateur game. So my desire eventually, if I ever got an opportunity to be a head coach at college, in college, that's what I would like to do. Yeah. Because um, I think I can make a difference. And, and my my thing is when I say make a difference, I don't mean necessarily on the field. I enjoy having an impact on these young players. Yeah, off the field, um, teaching them the right way, holding them accountable. Because my rules, um, when it comes to the way you can should conduct yourself on the field, in the classroom, as an individual, are pretty. The bar is pretty high. Yeah, you don't meet it for me. There's there's some pretty dire consequences when you are when you are um, when you're there to to uh, when when you're at when you're out of school to to you're really lucky because you got a scholarship number one yeah so let's go earn that scholarship not just on the field but off the field and in the in the community and all this stuff so yeah uh, I want to have that impact um, I'm actually in my school now I teach defensive stuff and I have young youth players ten to thirteen kind of wheelhouse and I like having an impact on them I I, I I like holding them accountable and making them do things and treating them like young men and that's that's when I say make a difference, not only on the field, but, but off the field as well. That's awesome. I, I, you know, you, you talk about will your kid ever remember it. I coached my son uh, in everything, my youngest one. I coached him in baseball, football, all that. And his very last year of football, sixth grade, before you go to seventh grade and he wanted to play football still, that was it for me. I, was, I had coached my kids. And so we, we got beat in the playoffs, and I went up to him, put my arm around him. My kid doesn't talk. I mean, he's just, you know, he can be funny, but never says a word. Got to kick his butt every once in a while. And I, I put my arm around him. I said, hey, bud, you know what? It's been a blast coaching you all this time, and I've enjoyed coaching you. But now that you're going into junior high and all that, he's not playing baseball anymore, so I wasn't going to coach him. I said, I appreciate it. He buried his head in my shoulder and wept. 
And mm-hmm. I went, holy, I mean, it made me get all teary eyed, but I was like, so you've appreciated all of this. I don't, you know, he never said a word about it. Mason will be that way one. He's going to tell hey, stories. Let me tell you this, Mason, we'll, 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 he's old enough now to argue back, right? So we all yeah. <laughs> And so, but it's funny, all this time I've been telling him things, right? And I'm thinking to myself, is this kid listening? And I'll say <laughs> something and, and, and we'll argue about it. Yeah. And we'll get into it. Um, and two weeks later, he'll say the same thing. And I'll say, yep, he's listening. He's listening. <laughs> he didn't like it at the time, but he's listening. Yeah, got to listen to the old man. Okay, so I'm going to play a little game. We're down to the last part of it here. Um, little thing, and I, I mentioned it to you when we did the other deal, but I wanted to do it for this one. It's called the home run game. Uh-huh. So you've hit home runs. You hit 119 big league winners, I think, or 120. Um, you've hit them in college, high school. Tell me the very first – ball you ever hit over a fence how old were you do you remember it and how old you were and where you were um i probably answered this the time before but i don't remember now i'm not i'm not uh was it little league or did you ever hit one in little league or i never hit a homer in little league man um first home run i ever hit was probably in high school um that was probably first home run i ever i ever hit was in high school that's what I'd say. I don't remember the game or anything, but the first home run I, I remember him in high school. And then the then the other one is the one out of all of them from college all the way up. The one, and I think we did do this. But I'm gonna do it anyway for yeah. those that didn't listen to it. The one you hit that the moment you hit it, you were like, "Holy crap, that's it! I just got all of that one." Uh, there's a couple. I hit one. I hit one uh, in college, but the one uh, there, I can see the one in college right now. Um, I had a couple in, in the minor leagues, but the one that I remember was in the, the uh, kingdom. Uh, I hit it in the third deck. Um, uh, I had a 2 fastball, hit in the third deck in the kingdom. I mean, when I say it was the perfect pitch and, and as perfect a swing as I could put on the ball, remember when I said earlier, when you hit yeah. it right in the screw, you don't feel it, never felt it. And it went, it went in the third deck 10 rows up. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I was in the – one of like 10 people that ever hit one up there. And that was probably the best, best uh, ball I ever hit in a game. I've hit some in BP, but sure. uh, in a game, that was the best one I ever hit. Hey, you know what? So you played all your career in that old ballpark. We just, where was the best BP ball you ever hit? Did you ever put one up on top of that awning? Uh, no, I did not. Um, best BP ball I ever hit was in the, in the Sky Dome. Um, and I, I hear again, <laughs> things stick out in your head. Bucky Dent was going BP and we we're coming down to the end of BP. And I was the last guy in the cage, and he threw it in there. I hit it in the third deck in, in the Sky Dome. Oh, my God. Uh, the right field line. And when I hit it, uh, everybody was like, holy cow. It went probably six rows up in the, in the Sky Dome. But, uh, holy crap. Yeah, so I, but, you know, it, that's, those are few and far between, man. The way I've always been, is, you know, it's 401 feet. I'm circling the bases. It can go nine miles. I don't care as long yeah. as it goes over the fence. As it goes over the fence. Well, see, I, I asked about that first one, because I hit one in my whole life, ever. And it was my junior. So, obviously, I remember it. It was yeah. my junior year using the green bomb. First game of the year, I got a bunt. Uh, they had given me a bunt signal, and I missed it. So, I got in trouble. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and I did, but I was like, you didn't care, man. I, I don't, I, that's probably the fastest anyone's jogged around bases ever. <laughs> that's yeah. not where I'm, I'm not big. When you miss the bunt, man, I've missed it too. And, and <laughs> you got to make up for it somehow. That's right. So I was, but that, I, my home run trot, I wish I'd have gotten to enjoy it because I was just flying like I cannot believe I just hit one over the fence. Yeah. So what is one thing? This is the last question. Is there anything, one thing that nobody knows about Rusty Greer? Let me give you an example. There's a kid that plays on the Rangers now. He just got hurt. His name's Brock Burke. I asked all of them this question, and he came up with the most unique one. It ended up as a national story. He walks in his sleep. Um, and even on the road and everything else, uh, they have to watch him because he'll get up. He's woke up with uh, shins all bloody and all of that. Another one, it's funny that your son does that, but there's a kid named uh, uh, Tyler, Tyler Phillips that pitches, and he's in the minor leagues. He is an excellent wakeboarder. And uh, he said, people probably don't know I can wakeboard. I'm a really good wakeboarder. So is there something about Rusty Greer nobody knows? Um, well, I said earlier I'm a I'm... – I sit and play my video game quite a bit. You're a gamer. <laughs> You're a gamer. Uh, I think you did ask me this, and I don't want to say – I want to – I'm trying to remember what I said because it was something that's true, but um, 
I'm, 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 I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a gamer. You're a uh, gamer. Yeah, I'm a gamer, <laughs> video gamer. All right, well, I'm going to get one more thing. I'm going to get a plug from you for the – it's just – hey, this is Rusty Greer with the Texas Rangers, and you're listening to the Ranger Nation podcast. Hi, this is Rusty Greer, formerly of the Texas Rangers, and you're listening to the Ranger Nation podcast. Thanks, bud. That's it. Hey, that's Rusty Greer, Texas Ranger Hall of Famer. Rusty, I appreciate you giving me the time. I know we've been going over two weeks trying to get this thing together, but, hey, it's your schedule. You come on and help me out. I really appreciate it. Guys, that's Rusty Greer. Thanks for everybody that was listening. Like I say at the end of every one of these or anything I write, nerd out. (laughs) 